I'm always humbled by the fact that I am chosen when I am, and I, I always want to be sure that I honor the pulpit and the the hosts of the pulpit, Pastors Bert and Becky, and how faithful they have been, and how, you know, if, if you've ever stood up here and given a message, you know that it's a kind of an intimidating thing, and for 25 years, Pastor Bert has been coming to this pulpit twice a week, faithfully, and faithfully hearing the word from God, and faithful, faithfully delivering what God has given him to speak. So I want to honor them and give thanks to them for trusting me with this position. So I like to start always with a joke or two, and uh, I, I had selected one joke today, and, and I'm going to tell that one, but there's somebody in our body that, who should remain nameless <laughs> that sent me another joke, and it's pretty good, so I have to do it too. <laughs> there was a preacher who was, had, had a young son that was in his office with him preparing to go out and preach. And while they were there, this young son said to his father, Dad, can I ask you a question? And the father, of course, said, of course you can. So the boy said, well, I noticed that before every service, you go up on the platform and you sit down and you bow your head for quite some time. He said, what are you doing? And his father, the preacher told his son, he said, well, I'm asking God to give me a good sermon. To which the little boy replied, well, why doesn't he do it? And then this one came from that nameless person in our congregation. A man broke into a house one night. He was going to burglarize the place. and So when he went in, he didn't turn on any lights, but he turned on a flashlight. And as he turned on the flashlight, he heard this voice say, Jesus is watching you. So quickly he turned off the flashlight and he waited a minute or two and nothing else happened. So... He turned the flashlight on again, and right away he heard the same voice saying, Jesus is watching you. And startled again, he turned the flashlight off and waited quite a while this time, and nothing happened. So he decided to get brave and turn on the flashlight and leave it on, and he flashed it around the room, and the only thing he saw was this parrot up on this perch. And he laughed, and he said, oh, so you're Jesus. And the parrot said, no, my name is Moses. So he laughed again and he said, what kind of people named their parrot Moses? And he said, the same kind of people that named their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> so that helps, helps loosen me up a little. I hope it does you all too. And I want you to know that I have eight pages of notes here, so there's no telling how long this service is going to last. And truthfully, I never know when I prepare a message, I never know how long it's going to last. Sometimes it lasts 10 minutes and sometimes it lasts an hour, but this one may be one of the longer ones. Title of my message today is Be Willing to Change. Be Willing to Change. And in the, in the process of this message, we're going to talk about some of the things about why we need to change and some of the things that hinder change. And then I'm going to give you 12 steps to be able to make a legitimate change in your life. And to begin with, you have to be willing to change. You have to recognize that some of your behaviors and some of your thought patterns maybe aren't what they should be. And maybe they don't line up with the word. So you have to be willing to change your behaviors and change your responses or your reactions to the things that happen to you in your life and what people say to you and what people do to you. You have to recognize them, first of all. And the word says in Proverbs 23, 7 that you are what you eat. And that's not just talking about food. That's talking about everything that goes into your mind and your spirit and your body. You are what you eat. So, 
why do we need to change? Well, <laughs> most of you, I'm sure, have heard this definition of insanity. And that definition is doing the same thing in the same way and expecting a different result. That's insanity. You can't do things the same way you've been doing them for years and years and years and responding the same way you respond for years and years and years and expect a different result. The Word says that you reap what you sow. So as you respond and as you react and as you think, you're sowing those seeds, you're being a farmer like Sandra just talked about. By the way, I, I, I think I'm going to start using that. I were a farmer once, but it's been a long time. So we, we need to change. And it's important for us to recognize, and you've heard this many times from this pulpit, that we are a spirit. When most of society, does, when they look at somebody, they don't think about them being a spirit. They look at their body and that's what they are, or they, they hear words that they speak from their mind, and they think that's what they are. But it's not true. The inner core of every person is their spirit. The spirit houses the, 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 the soul, and the body houses the soul and the spirit, but it's going to pass away, and it's not going to be anymore. And the spirit lives on. And according to the word, your, your mind lives on too because it talks about it in, in the word. So it's important that we recognize that the spirit lives eternally. You know, this body's going to die and some of us are closer to that than others. But sooner or later, it happens to all of us. This body's going to die and when it does, that part is gone forever. You know, they put it in a coffin, they, you know, they, it, at your funeral, they dress you all up and put makeup on you and put you in your best suit or your best dress and all that, make you look pretty. But the fact is, that's going to be dust pretty soon. But the spirit goes on and on. And the spirit, your spirit, is transformed instantly. When you're born again, your spirit is transformed instantly and is united with the Spirit of Christ. So, we need to recognize that that part of us is going to go on and on and on and on. So, why not start now to change the things that aren't working in our life or the things that are opposed to the Word in our lives? Start working on those things now to deliver our mind and our body from the shackles that surround us because of that. Change for the soul and the body is not automatic like it is for the, for the spirit. Your spirit is saved instantly, but your body and your soul takes a while. It's an ongoing process. And it begins by the renewing of your mind. Your spirit rules your mind, or it's supposed to after you get born again, but your soul rules your body. And so Romans 12, 1 turn there if you would, says, and this is the modern, uh, the New King James, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there's a process there. It talks about the body, but it also talks about the rest of you being transformed. And according to the word, uh, your salvation of your body is an ongoing thing. The salvation of your soul is an ongoing thing. It's what you have to work on all the time. So... Without renewal, the mind will continue in the same process as it's been. You know, a lot of people believe in healing. You know, mentally, they believe in healing. But in their spirit, they haven't got to the place where they really believe that God will heal them. 
that God wants to heal them and that they will heal them and that it is possible for them to be healed. That process takes a while and it has to be renewed, but it doesn't happen overnight. Look at James chapter 1. James 1. James chapter 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14, But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 15 says, Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So, if, if, if we won't change, well, let me back up just a minute. We all go through this same process. We all experience temptations day after day after day. Some, some temptations are physical, some of them are mental. And uh, we often think about temptations being uh, some of the grosser sins, you know being tempted into lust or whatever. But that's not necessarily what this is talking about. This is talking about talking about the pride of life. It's talking about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And that covers all the areas of sin in our lives. But we have an opportunity to change all that. And we're all tempted but we don't all have to give in to that temptation. And most of us, well, there's a process that has to take place in order for us to be able to overcome those temptations, those lusts. And the process is that we have to educate ourselves in God's Word. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. That's a formula for, for everything that I'm talking about today. You have to educate yourself in, in the ways of the Lord and what God's Word says, and then be willing to be obedient to what the Word says. God's word says that he, he loves obedience over sacrifice. Now, we know we all make sacrifices. We, we made a sacrifice to get out of bed this morning and come and be here. Most of us would like to sleep in rather than come here and uh, participate. So we all make sacrifices, and God likes that. He likes it when you'll get up and come to church or when you'll sacrifice to give an offering or whatever. He likes all that. But rather than that, the thing that he likes most, rather than that, is for you to be obedient to his word and the leadership of his spirit. And if we do that, then the process is well underway. Well, most of us, or lots of us, are interested in changing, want to change, but aren't able. We're willing, but unable. And the title of the message, of course, was Be Willing to Change. And that's the first step, is to be willing to change. But the second step is to define what that process is. And we all have strongholds in our lives. And that's a word that you've heard here before. And it means something that is locked in. Something that has control over what you do and think. And we all have them. Some strongholds that we have are good that we've learned over time. They're good. But there are lots of strongholds that aren't good. And strongholds that really hold us back from being who and what we should be in Christ Jesus. Most thought strongholds are thought patterns that are developed over time. And a lot of them have been taught to us. We don't just pick them up as we go along, but they've been taught to us. They've been taught to us by our parents, by our teachers, by friends, by all kinds of associations that we have. 
They were all affected for those. And part of the problem with strongholds is that we usually don't recognize them in ourselves. We're quick to recognize them in other people, but not so quick to recognize them in ourselves. I'm guilty. All of y'all are too. If I asked for a show of hands, anybody that didn't lift their hands, I'd have to cast the lying devil out of them. Because we all, we all are that way. And sometimes we think these strongholds are normal and healthy because a lot of them are reflected back to us from our society. So we see those strongholds or those thought processes going on in other people who are, appear to be successful or whatever, so we think that that's the right way to think. But if it's contrary to what the Word says, it's not the right way to think. We have to be focused in on God's Word. And we have to remember that all the information that we receive into our minds is filtered through those strongholds. That's why two people can see the same event take place and have two different reactions to what has happened. Because I'm filtering it through my thought processes and my strongholds, and you're filtering yours through a whole different set of paradigms. The other problem is we typically excuse those strongholds in ourselves. We'll say, well, that's just the way I am. Take me or leave me. You've all experienced that. Maybe not in yourself, but you've certainly seen it in other people. Right? <clears throat> or that's the way I was raised. That's just the way I'm going to be because that's the way I was raised and that's the end of it. Well, it's important to understand that Satan knows every stronghold that's in your mind. You've heard the saying that God keeps good books, and he does, but Satan keeps good books too. Everything that you've ever spoken out of your mouth that is from a negative stronghold, he's heard it, and he's got it in his books and he may not personally come at you, but he's got a whole bunch of these little squirrely little demons that he sends out to do his dirty work. And they will remind you of all those things. And it becomes a, it becomes a trap. And he will take every opportunity to push those buttons in your life. And it's difficult to resist those buttons when he pushes them unless we're renewing our minds and bre breaking down the strongholds, the negative strongholds that have occupied our minds. And it, since he knows how you're going to react to certain situations, he'll make sure that he gets somebody in your life to push that button so that he can get that reaction from you. And... Every time we react negatively to something someone says to us or something somebody does that we don't approve of, all those are based on the strongholds that are in your life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outline for you six common strongholds. Strongholds that most of us have to one degree or another. We need to identify them in ourselves. We need to be brave enough to really look inside ourselves and think about how we respond to different situations and different people. You know, people are the whole problem. <laughs> if it wasn't for, for people, everything would be great, right? Or if everybody thought just like I do, it'd be wonderful. It doesn't work. Okay. Six common strongholds. The first one is unbelief. That's, that's a biggie. Unbelief. Which means that you have trouble believing God's word. You have trouble believing that what took place, that what the Bible tells us took place, 
is true. In fact, a lot of our society today looks at the Bible and thinks it's a fairy tale. I know that every one of you have talked to people that have responded to you about the Bible in some fashion similar to that. They just don't believe it's true. And certainly the media in our country don't believe it's true. They're totally opposed to it. Our education system has thrown God out. So they don't believe it's true. So you're, we're fighting an uphill battle to not have unbelief as a stronghold in our lives. You have to overcome that. Number two is cold love. Cold love is typified by a lack of compassion or a lack of tenderness. Cold love is, is uh, demonstrated by brutality, both physically and verbally. It's typified by uh, ignoring or uh, ridiculing people or what you believe in. Number three is fear. And fear is a really big one. And we all fear some things. The big three are fear of failure. How many of you have ever had a fear of failure? I'm raising both hands. <laughs> when I got up here to speak this morning, I had fear of failure. And I bet you if most of you, if you got up here to speak, you'd have it too. <laughs> and if you, if you let that stronghold win, then the next time you have an opportunity to do something like that, you'll have a bigger fear of failure. So you have to suck it up and do what you're called to do. Second is fear of the unknown. And I know that we all have had that, too. And, well, let, let me just say that we all have that come across our minds, these strongholds come across our minds. The question is whether we're going to surrender to them and let them control us or whether we're going to rise up above that and do what we're called to do. And the third one is phobias. And... They're closely related to fears, except that they may not frighten you, but it causes you to make a decision that has a negative effect on your, on your personality and your body. The fourth stronghold, and this is probably the biggest one. In fact, this one is the original sin. You know what it was, right? Pride. Pride. Before man was ever placed on the earth by God, there was an angel, an archangel, who was the, the chief worshiper, the worship leader in heaven. His name is Satan. And he fell from heaven and was cast out of heaven because of pride. And that same nasty thing lives in every one of us. And off of pride come most of these other strongholds. Most of them have their roots in pride. And pride often demonstrates itself in a couple of very important ways. One, we're unable to admit our mistakes. Uh, you know, I've never made one, but surely you all have. <laughs> Second is a lack of submission. Now, submission, <laughs> submission in some circles in the Christian world has become a dirty word, particularly when it's applied to a woman being submitted to her husband. And we don't have time to get into that this morning. <laughs> That's a whole ball of wax that I'm not going to open up. But it's not just that submission. It's submission to any authority over you. You know, it's... Uh, Choosing not to stop at a stop sign instead of just kind of slowing down and then going on through. It's not doing your homework if the teacher assigns homework. It's not submitting to your boss 
They may tell you to do something and you do it, but you do it your way instead of their way. You know, and there's, I could go on and on and on with that one, you know, but lack of submission. The fifth one is unforgiveness. Boy, you all are quiet. Well, if I'm stepping on toes, I'm glad. I need mine stepped on frequently. Unforgiveness. And you know, unforgiveness is... It's a subtle sin. And it's a subtle stronghold. And it's, it's one that we all deal with frequently. Because somebody steps on our toes in some way or another or does something that we don't approve of and we feel that they have hurt us in some way and because of that we have a difficult time forgiving them. And the, the common thing that you hear about people about unforgiveness is well, I just can't forgive them. I, I don't feel like I can forgive them. Well, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice. And it's a choice that we have to make so often. And what happens a lot of times is that you'll forgive somebody for something, and then the next day, Satan reminds you of that thing that they did. And then that thing rises up in you again, and you have to make that choice again. And you may have to make that choice a hundred times but you have the ability to forgive because the word says so. It's whether or not you're willing to make the choice on an ongoing basis. And the sixth one is lust. And typically when we talk about lust, people think about sex. Well, that's one of them. But you can lust over anything. You can lust over money. You can lust over food. You can lust over power. You can lust over somebody's car. You can lust over, over anything. Anything that has any desire that you have that, has, that takes precedent for you over what the Word of God says is lust. And if, particularly if it controls you. And we may think not think that uh, lusting for somebody else's car really controls us. But if, if your mind keeps going to that thing, you're being controlled by that stronghold. So regardless of where that lust is coming from, it's there. And it's, it has to be dealt with. And it can't be, you can't do it just once. You know, you have to continue and continue and continue. Well... I've given you all the negative stuff, right? <laughs> I'm going to give you 12 steps to overcoming the strongholds in your life. And it is a 12-step process. Look at 2 Corinthians verse 10. Right, chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, well, carnal just means fleshly, you know. doesn't mean sex or whatever, which is the typical connotation that people take from that word. <clears throat> just means worldly. Are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's, the, that's, how, that's how those things get overcome. And it's a 12-step process. Well, I'm on page three of my notes, so. <laughs> you know, some of us are afraid of change. We get comfortable with our strongholds, and we're afraid of change. 
what is it going to do? What am I going to be like after I change? Will I still be able to be this or to be that or to do this or to do that? That in itself is a stronghold. As I listed earlier, we're afraid of change. And that's a stronghold. But some don't know how to change. That may be hard for you to believe, but when you've been in a life pattern for quite some time, you may not know how to change that life pattern. You may feel hopeless about it. You may even feel depressed about it. But there are ways to change, and I'm going to give you 12 of them. You ready? It's the big 12. And the first one is the most important one. You have to make a decision. Now, when I say you have to make a decision, I'm not just saying, well, I'll think in my mind, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit doing that. That's not a decision. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Come on, everybody raise your hand. Everybody's done it. How many, hands down, how many have broken that New Year's resolution? All the same hands go up. And there's a reason. A resolution is not a decision. A resolution is like a wish. I'm talking about making a quality decision where you choose in your mind that you're going to do this no matter what. And even a lot of times when you make a quality decision and you still fail, people just throw up their hands and quit. That's what happens with New Year's resolutions. You break it once and, you know, you swore you're going to the gym and you're going to go every day and you're going to lose 30 pounds or whatever. And the first day that you sleep in, instead of going to the gym, oh, it's hopeless. I'll just forget about it. So it has to be a quality decision. And you have to stay the course. And if you get off course, you just make a correction. And you get back on course. And if you get off course the other way, you make a correction and you come back. But the decision-making process is the key to everything else. Number two, you have to turn your will to God. You have to turn your will to God. Uh, you have to submit to what God's word says. And Isaiah 119 says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now, there are two key words in there. They are willing. And willing isn't just cut and dried. And you may not be willing this moment, but you can decide to be willing. And then once you make the decision to be obedient to God's word, to carry through with the obedience piece of that. It's a two-part process. Number three, possess a desire to change. Possess a desire to change. You know, I was, I was a smoker. I started smoking when I was 14 years old. And I smoked until 28, 29? Yeah. yeah, 28 or 29. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, I had quit several times. You know, I'd made the decision to quit. You know, I'd quit for a day or two or a week. And sooner or later, I'd smoke a cigarette, and then it was all over. But one day, <laughs> Sarah and I had a little two-year-old son. And he had, I, I know this is old-fashioned toy, but how many of you know what Tinker Toys are? Tinker Toys. All us old, older folks know what Tinker Toys are. <laughs> well, Tinker Toys have these little round sticks in different lengths. And then they have pieces that you put together with you build. They're pre-Lego Legos. <laughs> Everybody knows what Legos is, right? Yeah. Well, they're pre-Lego Legos. And... Our little son, one day, was walking around the house, and he had one of these little tinker toys that was about this long, and he had it between his fingers like a cigarette, and he was walking around saying, I moke like dead. 
I quit smoking that day. And I've never looked back. That's the difference between saying you're going to change and having a real desire to change. You have to have some motivation, and that motivation comes from God's Word. So you have to be, you have to have a desire to change. And desire comes from exposure to God's Word. Number four, you need to deepen your knowledge base. Deepen your knowledge base. As I said earlier, you know, Proverbs says that you are what you eat. And you can't make a, well, I was going to say you can't make a decision without knowledge, but you can. It won't be a good decision probably, but you can't make a quality decision without some information, some knowledge about what you're making a choice about, a decision about. So you have to deepen your knowledge. It comes through the word. Uh, Number five, make the word your mirror. Uh, Look at Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful. And it is. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And remember, soul and spirit are not the same thing. Our society uses those words interchangeably, but they're not. And of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, when I say make the word your mirror, as you read the word, as you study the word, as you sit under the preaching of the word, let the word tell you whether you need to change or not. And the word will tell you whether you need to change or not. And then the Holy Spirit will reinforce what you learn from the word. But you have to have information, knowledge. Make the word your mirror. Number six, apply those truths. James 1, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's looking into the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word, sitting under the Word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the Word, This one shall be blessed in what he does. All of us, all of us know things that we should do and we don't do them. And we may do them one time and not do them the next time and so on and so on. But the more you practice doing what the word says, the easier it will be to continue in that. Notice it says continue in the word. Number seven. This is a biggie. Guard the entrances to your heart. You know, we have these gates that let information into our spirit. We have an eye gate. We have an ear gate. We have a touch gate. We have all these different gates that let information into our spirit and our heart. You have an eye gate. You need to watch what you see. Be careful for what you see. And this is a difficult one in our society because we are bombarded constantly with negative images that have an impact on how we think. I mean, you can't go in the grocery store without being assailed with sex. I mean, you go to the checkout and there's all these images that they have spread out all over the place there. You can't turn on television. You can't watch advertising without being assailed with sex and without being assailed with, with uh, values that are displayed all over, the, just splashed all over the place that are different from the values in God's Word. So you have to guard what you see. Number two, ears. You have to watch what you listen to. And... If you constantly watch and listen to today's news, 
you might not think you're being affected by it, but you are. Because they're displaying all kinds of values there that are, that are different from the values that we need to have as Christians, from the values that we need to have in our spirit. You have to guard your mouth. And you may say, well, that's not an entrance, but it is because what you say, you hear before anybody else hears it. So you have to watch what you say. Proverbs 12, 14 says, A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hand will be rendered to him. And Matthew 12, 37 says, For your, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words are so important. Not only the words that you hear you speak affect you, but the words you speak affect everybody who hears them, either positively or negatively. And as Sandra was talking about being a farmer, you know, you reap what you sow, and if you sow bad things out of your mouth, you're going to reap a harvest of bad things right back from it. Are you all okay? Is everybody still with me? Can you handle a little more? Yes. Okay. Good. There's, a, there's an old computer saying that's, that says GIGO, G-I-G-O. And that's an abbreviation for garbage in, garbage out. It just means that whatever you put in the computer, and your mind is a computer, whatever you put in the computer is what comes out. People like me who are technologically challenged to a certain degree sometimes can't figure out why I don't get out of the computer what I want to get out of it. And when I trace it all back somewhere along the line, I put something in there that caused all that to take place. So garbage in, garbage out. Your mind is the same way. Uh, number eight. Defend your mind against negative thoughts. Anybody ever had a negative thought? You don't need to raise your hand because I know you all have. It's inevitable. As I said before, Satan knows your weaknesses. He knows how to get to you. And he'll play it over and over. But then you need to take your thoughts captive. And you may think to yourself, well, how do you do that? Look at 2 Corinthians 10. I did write it down. 2 Corinthians 10. Five. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, what that's saying is that when a negative thought comes to your mind, you've got to make a conscious decision to cast it down. You've got to make a conscious decision to get rid of it. You say to yourself, that's a negative thought. I'm not receiving that. And you may have to say it over and over again, but eventually that negative thought won't come back. It just won't. <clears throat> Number nine. Be careful what you're exposed to. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is a biggie. It's a biggie. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Some translations say good morals. I have seen in my lifetime young women uh, get in a relationship with bad men and they're thinking, well, I'm a Christian and I'll change him. Y'all ever seen that? How often has it worked? It doesn't. Bad company brings you to their level instead of you bringing them to yours. 
choose associations carefully. And, number, and also with that, don't go where you're tempted. I mean, just don't go where you're tempted. That's not a, <laughs> that's not a difficult concept, I don't think, anyway. If you, if you have been an alcoholic, should you go to bars? I mean, you may become a sold-out Christian and determined to live the good life and go to the bar and convert all those guys there. Ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. And anybody that's been an alcoholic knows that I'm telling the truth. It just does not work. I've, I know lots of ex-alcoholics, and they'll tell you. Uh, number 10. We're about to get done here. Disassociate from the past. In other words, don't live in the past. Look at Philippians, verse 3, I mean chapter 3. Verse 13 says, My brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are new. Don't dwell in the past. You know, there are some people who are just ruled by their past life. Particularly, you know, there are a lot of people after they become Christians, they have a really difficult time staying with it because they keep burdening themselves with guilt because of the things that they've done in the past or the things that have happened to them in their past. And they keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. And it defeats them. Well, the Word says that God casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't even remember your past once you're born again. It's gone. Don't dwell in that. Instead, look toward the future. Number 11. Be teachable and correctable. And they aren't the same. <laughs> they aren't the same. Many people are teachable, but they're not correctable. I were one. Not anymore, but I was. You know, I... There was points in my life where I liked to learn, you know, I liked to be taught things. But when somebody corrected me, my back would raise up and I'd kick against the traces and do all kinds of things and usually walk out. That's not profitable. It's not profitable. You can't excuse or justify your behavior. And the Word says that God corrects those that He loves. So if God corrects those he loves, we have to trust that the people in our lives who love us have our best interest at heart, and if they're correcting us, it's not for their good, it's for our good. And if we'll receive that, we'll be better off for it, and we'll get rid of that stronghold. Number 12. Last one, you ready? Depend on God and others for help. You know, no man is an island, or woman either, is an island. We all live in this society, and we all need each other. And there are people that you can help, and there are people that can help you. And you have to be willing for both. You have to be willing when, to help when you can help, and you have to be willing to receive help when you need help. Seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you and is united with your spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> is united with your spirit. And if you'll get quiet and listen, the Holy Spirit will instruct you and will lead you. He'll help you. One of, the, one of the, the names of the Holy Spirit is the helper. And he really does help. Next.
be quick to follow his leadership. <clears throat> As I said earlier, God loves obedience more than sacrifice. Obedience is the number one thing to God. So be obedient to the leadership of your spirit. And then surround yourself with mature believers. Surround yourself with people that have the same values that you do, and some of them are further along than you are, and they can help you. And just like bad associations corrupt good morals, good associations lift good morals. Surround yourself with mature believers. I got 10 minutes. You want? <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you any more. What I am going to do is I'm going to pray with you. Now, I want you to pray with me. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a prayer, and I want you to repeat it after me. And I'm going to do it real slow, because I want you to think about what you're saying. And I want you, your ears to hear you say it, and I want it to go in your spirit. You ready? God, I want to change. I believe that the more I study and apply your principles to my life, the better off I am. I am being transformed from the inside out. My relationships with my family members are better than ever. Because I'm getting rid of my old thought patterns and replacing them with new ones. God, help me to continue on the path to self-improvement. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Glory to God. Now, we're applauding not for me because I'm just the mouthpiece. We're applauding God.